Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined by my co-host this evening, Tyler Burton. Tyler, before we dive into chatting a little bit about the transfer portal, some of the new additions on the football side, and also uh, some hardwood uh, sports for the Sooners, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Do you want the bad news first? Always the bad news first. But, yeah, unfortunately, it's kind of a downer note to open the podcast on, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Corbin has decided to step away from the podcast to focus on uh, some different things in his life that needs to take a little bit more priority. And so it's a, it's a huge bummer. We thought we might be able to get him on after the wedding, uh, which uh, congrats to him, newly wed. He's got a lot more priorities in his life that he needs to, to focus on. So we're kind of bummed to be missing out on him. Um, but I guess the good news is, our listenership probably just went up, right? I think that kind of goes without saying, Adam. That was probably the first thing that popped into my head when Corbin did reach out to me a couple of weeks ago um, talking about it. Uh, yeah, as the viewership's going to go up. Uh, numbers, I'm sure, are going to skyrocket just as as recently uh, as this uh, this first episode with, without him. But no, um, obviously getting Corbin to come on, um, it was about a year ago. Obviously, we've got some time uh, working with him. In our time with OU Athletics, I obviously went to school with him. Um, he was kind of my introduction to OU uh, when I started as a marketing intern all the way back in 2015. My God, uh, but yeah, definitely sad to uh, see him go. It's gonna be, it's not gonna be the same. Um, not having all three of us here on the same time, but obviously he's got some really exciting things uh, on his plate right now that's coming down the pipeline with with work and family. So wish him nothing but the best. But I've think adam it's probably pretty safe to say might have him on as a guest uh you know <laughs> once or twice a year uh especially he's gonna get the urge once the betting pit once the betting segment uh starts coming up again he's gonna have the urge to come back so yeah corbin yeah. we're gonna miss you buddy but you're you're welcome here anytime um we'll see how the numbers do even though he has decommitted, we will continue to recruit him. And uh, it's not not over by, by any stretch. Uh, I did joke. I remember the first time that we had uh, Corbin on as a permanent host uh, here at the Mainline Podcast. I joked that it cut our listenership in half uh, because it was him and um, at that time, my, my girlfriend, who were the only listeners, I believe. Um, and I, I was it was obviously a joke at that point. But um, I actually went back and looked at the numbers. I went back to the very first episode that Corbin was on, and we've more than doubled our listenership since then. Uh, so um, he was a tremendous asset for us uh, in a number of different ways, both on the podcast mm-hmm. and behind the scenes. So um, we'll certainly miss him. Uh, I guess the awkward transition into OU at this point, though, is that yeah. OU is getting some new additions on the mm-hmm. roster. Let's start with the defensive line here. Two new commits uh, coming in from the transfer portal for the Sooners. Devon Sears, the defensive tackle out of Texas State. And then uh, Rondell, I've heard his name pronounced multiple different ways. I'll go with Bothroyd for now, the Mm -hmm. defensive end out of Wake Forest. Bothroyd, kind of two different guys here. You've got Bothroyd, highly productive uh, career at (laughs) Wake Forest, now comes to Oklahoma, probably going to provide a lot of tremendous depth and experience that position. Devon Sears, on the flip side, a guy that not much production there, played at least 20 or more snaps in every game for the Bobcats uh, down in San Marcos. But I guess just potential there and athleticism that he has that the coaches, and he got a lot of offers from big-time schools that 
Uh, they believe they can get a lot more out of him than mm-hmm. what he was able to do for the Bobcats. Yeah, I mean, when you just look at uh, you know Devon Sears Jr.'s frame, six foot two, two hundred ninety pounds. I mean, that's kind of what you want. That's a prototypical size uh, defensive tackle playing on the interior. He had offers from Tennessee, Penn State, USC, Miami. So the the interest was clearly there from some of the other premier programs across the country uh, with regards to you know having his talents being part of their football program. But I think that when you do see the Texas State. Uh, next to his name like yeah that is a little bit off-putting because that's not you know that that's not getting like a premier defensive tackle from uh, you know a power five school somebody from the SEC the Big Ten Pac-12 so on and so forth but I think that this is a this is a scenario where you've got to trust the evaluation and that's something that Todd Bates and Brent Venables that's kind of been their bread and butter for their entire coaching career is they once they see a guy on tape they see you know it, it may not be what school he's playing at it may not be the competition he go, he's going against but they see the tools and the way in which he plays the game so uh, getting him here on campus uh, he's going to be here in Norman in just a couple of weeks if less get him in the weight room with Schmitty start working on the tape start working on his technique and we'll see if he can't be a player um, going into next season but Adam you know when you really kind of think about it the defensive line group is one where uh, because of some um, some attrition guys going to the NFL some guys graduating a couple guys entering the transfer portal Oklahoma's basically just kind of been in dire need of bodies just to fill the roster uh, in that position group at this point so but when you look at some of the guys that they are losing the transfer portal Josh Ellison Alton Tarver two guys were yes Josh Ellison he Flashed at times. He made a play here, here uh, every now and again. Alton Tarver didn't get on the field. I kind of, honestly, kind of forgot Adam that he was even on the team this year. So I think having uh, you know Davon Sears Jr. being a part of this, you know, if he can make plays, if he can find his way into that two deep rotation, it can be a playmaker for this team. Um, then yeah, I think it's an upgrade compared to what you had on the roster um, three weeks ago. If you were unhappy with what the defensive line looked like this past year, you do have a totally brand new defensive line that you just picked up from the portal. You've got your defensive ends in Bothroyd and Trace Ford, your interior guys in Sears, and then also Jacob Lacey, who committed to OU way back in November. It feels like uh, that was so long ago, and I think people often forget about him. Now, each of those, other than Bothroyd, I think, the other three guys really come with some questions here. Trace Ford's got the injury history. Sears and Lacey both have the history of producing some, but not always yeah. playing. I'm um, not being the primary guys. So, but at, at the very minimum, you have you have a, a new stack of guys. You've got the, mm-hmm. the incoming recruits uh, in Taylor Wine and PJ Adebore and uh, Derek LeBlanc uh, that are coming in. We'll see how much each of those guys are able to contribute. I'm sure there'll be some more than others. But are we? Are we satisfied? Do you think this is the best that OU could have done and or, and or do you think there could be more that could be done from the portal? And I guess I'll throw in another guy in there, Desan McCullough, who in third yeah. down situations, we might see him in more of a defensive end position. Yeah, I think you're going to see more uh, Desan McCullough. You know, that's kind of been the what, what everybody's debating right now. Is he going to be kind of an edge guy or is he going to slide back and replace Deshaun White as the cheetah for the 2023 squad? Uh, but just, just kind of going down and looking at the list, starting with Rondell, you know, Bothroyd, six foot four, 265 pounds, um, a little bit. He's primarily an edge guy at that frame, but he's a good enough athlete. He can, you know, put his hand in the dirt. He can play both inside and out. So it'd be very, very interested to see what BV, Ted Roof, and, you know, Coach Bates decide to do with him. Uh, he's got some flexibility who can play, you know, multiple positions for this Oklahoma defense. So, but my, my biggest thing that stands out for me, you know, outside of the athleticism, you know, the, the stats, some of the plays that he made during his time at Wake Forest, is the fact that he's a captain. 
he was a captain of Wake Forest. So that means not just his coaches, but the other 120 guys in that locker room thought that he was, you know, warranted, you know, he was good enough both as a player, uh, but also as a teammate and a brother. Uh, to be, you know, one of the true leaders of that football program this past season. So, and that's that's kind of what you know Brent Venables has been preaching uh, since he stepped foot in Norman. You know, twelve. I guess it's been what fourteen months ago. He's looking for high character guys, uh, guys with high football IQ. You know, leaders. You know, not just on the football field, but they're also difference makers both in the classroom, in the community, off the field as well. So, extremely happy to have him. Uh, being part of the Oklahoma football program, but Adam, I think you make a really, really good point, and I'll throw this back over to you. When you look and see what the defensive line and even the defensive end edge guys, what the makeup of the room is right now, yet it was kind of in dire need just a few weeks ago with some of the, like I mentioned, the transfer portal uh, guys, you know, going to the NFL draft, graduating. But I think Oklahoma has done a really, really good job so far. I think in a perfect world, we'll see what becomes of it, both, you know, with just uh, a few more days until. Uh, you know, the transfer portal window is, uh, finishes, but there is another round after spring football comes to a conclusion. So could you maybe pick up one more guy after spring football that can help you? But just going down the list, man, I, I you know, Isaiah Coe, Jordan Kelly, those are two guys coming back for, for another season. Those are both, you know, two proven commodities that have made plays uh, in big ways in big time games. Jacob Lacey, you know, transferred from Notre Dame. Corey Roberson, and eh, we'll see what happens. Grayson Halton, tremendous upside. I know the coaches are extremely excited about the jump he's going to be able to take from year one to year two. Kelvin Gilliam, we'll see what he can do with another year under his belt. And then you've got the two freshmen with Derek LeBlanc and Ashton Shanders coming in. And Edge, Adam, you know, we, we've talked about defensive tackle Oklahoma trying to you know beef things up on the interior I think that you're gonna you're gonna look at an offseason I think that the spring game is, is going to be very telling I know that we're four months away from that but what does Oklahoma do with Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs two guys that are not real difference makers out on the edge especially when trying to get after the passer so do they decide to maybe try to put 15 to 20 pounds on each of those guys slide them in maybe play a three technique we'll see what Schmitty uh, and this coaching staff uh, d- decides to do from them. But honestly, man, you know, you just go down the roster, you know, Trace Ford, we'll see. Uh, Rondell, Bo- you know, Bothroyd, I think he has an opportunity to make some plays this year. Marcus Stripling's going to be back. R. Mason Thomas can build off a, uh, a really good, you know, freshman campaign. And then P.J. Adabare. I think it's going to be really hard. It kind of feels like, you know, he's getting the Buki love fest uh, type of treatment from OU fans the last couple of weeks from what he's done uh, at the Under Armour All-American game. But it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But as we sit here right now, Adam, throwing this over to you, I kind of like where Oklahoma sits. They're in a much better position right now than they were back in December. Yeah, I think with this transfer class, I think Bothroyd is someone that I'm really excited about because he's proven he's consistent. We've Mm -hmm. seen the track record there at at a Power 5 school. Some of the other guys have some question marks, but I think at minimum, it's going to provide options for this defensive line. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in last season, we saw that Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs struggled, and the guys that you were able to turn to was a group of five transfer and Jonah Luwalu, who had some okay moments, and then a true freshman in R. Mason Thomas, who physically just wasn't developed enough in my opinion and, and and had some injury issues as well. So there really wasn't any direction to turn there uh, with when those guys struggled. Now you have some guys that are experienced that can push Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes to get better if they are still in fact going to be ahead of them. So it's going to make those guys better, but it's also going to provide a real rotation there. And I think Ethan Downs is a guy that gets a lot of hate, um, but I think, I think he still had an okay year. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had some, some good moments. He was in the backfield and I think he's that, 
I hate using the cliche of, of high motor guy, but it's kind of what he is. I think that motor can run even better if he's in a more of a rotation at that position instead of wearing mm-hmm. himself out over the course of, of 90 plays a game. So I, I think it's moving in the right direction. There's no guys on this defensive line that's anywhere close to what some of those SEC teams have that you need no. to get to really. No. But you're in a much better position to make your defense look better, the secondary to look actually as good as they as they truly are with the talent they have because I think they will be – better at getting to the quarterback in 2023. Well, and I think that that was probably the biggest takeaway. I feel like we say this every single year watching, you know, two SEC teams or, you know, watching Georgia and Alabama in the national championship game. It's when you look at the trenches and just the difference in the size and the athleticism and just basically the type of recruit that Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State are putting out there. And then you look and see what Oklahoma's done, you know, the past few times we've made it to the playoff, what TCU looked like last night. I mean, it almost kind of looked like a freshman squad going up against the varsity. It's so um, I, I do think w- w- after seeing the level that it's going to take to play big time football, like we're seeing Georgia doing right now, you know, they're kind of on the mountaintop of college football, replacing Alabama. Oklahoma's got to start trying to figure out a way to get those guys, try to bl- uh, bring in those five star blue chip recruits at the you know defensive tackle position. Uh I feel like Oklahoma's got a pretty good room right now as far as edge guys go, bringing in a good young nucleus of talent, but you got to figure out a way to get some you know, elite war daddies up front uh, on the interior. So we'll see what they can do. Todd Bates, 2024 is a big year in the recruiting cycle uh, for, for him, and we'll see what this group can do. But as far as the makeup of this room right now, I like where OU sits. OU being a few years away from having some real dudes on the defensive line is a conversation that we've mm-hmm. been having for probably the last five to seven years or so. And it's, it's frustrating. A conversation that OU has not had recently, though, is a new wide receiver coach uh, coming into play here. And that's what uh, was just announced today with Emmett Jones mm-hmm. making the transition from Lubbock and Texas Tech to Oklahoma, a guy that I don't think was on OU's radar necessarily. A lot of people were, were interested in Malcolm Kelly and thought that might come to fruition after the national championship game. But Emmett Jones, in his own right, is a guy that has a track record of, of doing well recruiting, coming from that interior Dallas area, in my opinion, and being a guy that uh, has a lot of great relationships with schools that OU maybe hasn't done as well with recruiting-wise, like South Oak Cliff, like Duncanville, um, those types of programs uh, that are really great in producing high school talent, but mm-hmm. OU hasn't really had the inroads in. And I think this is finally the guy that can really help OU propel in that recruiting grounds for uh, for the wide receivers there. Yeah, I mean, you just look at this guy's track record, you know, as both a recruiter and as a coach. The guy can coach, he can develop talent, but most important of all for this position group, and this was kind of really the big thing for me, Adam, that I wanted, you know, Brent Venables and, you know, OU administration to really address when, when looking at the next, you know, wide receivers coach. It was bringing somebody in that could have the same effect uh, with Kale Gundy from – a recruiting standpoint from having a really strong relationship in the state of Texas with the high school coaches, uh, particularly in the DFW. But like I said, the guy's an elite recruiter, strong ties to the Dallas, to the greater Dallas area because of his upbringing in the Texas high school football ranks. You just look at, look at the uh, uh, news piece that Sooner Sports put out a little bit earlier today prior to his time as head coach at South Oak Cliff for three seasons back in 2012 to 2014. One of the best, you know, most consistent programs in Texas high school football. He was an assistant coach at multiple Dallas area high schools. So he is very, very plugged in to the coaching staffs and the programs in those good 4A, 5A, 6A schools that we're, that we see time and time again playing deep into the postseason. So um, it, it is a good, it, it, it is a good, um, I think that OU addressed this really well. Um, we'll see moving forward. Obviously, he's got, 
he's got he's got his hands full in year one. You lose Marvin Mims, uh, he's going to the NFL. Theo Weiss transfers out. Just going down and looking at the list, Adam, uh, of guys that are coming back. We all know about Jaleel Farouk. He's a proven commodity. Drake Stoops, Mr. Consistency. You know what you're going to get from 12. But then where do you go from there, Adam? LV Bunkley Shelton, J.J. Hester, two guys, very minimal snaps, not much of an impact whatsoever. Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, two freshmen that really didn't get much run this past season. Keon Brown, Jaquez Petaway, two true freshmen. What are they going to be able to do? I think you'll see Petaway come on the field. Um, it's going to be hard to keep him off with his speed and his versatility down the field. We did get some good news, though, today, Adam. Just kind of staying along the transfer portal lines. Oh, you got a receiver commit transfer from uh, Michigan. Talk to us a little bit about Mr. Anthony. Yeah, Andrew Anthony, the uh, transfer originally from East Lansing, Michigan, uh, went to the Wolverines, uh, played uh, two years, and didn't have – you know, a whole lot of eye-popping stats or anything. He had a great game against Michigan State in 2021, mm-hmm. went off for over 100 yards and two touchdowns in that particular matchup. Struggled with some injuries, but you can definitely see he's a guy that's got some some really good speed at a pretty good frame there. He's 6'2". Mm-hmm. Um, we saw him really just run away from that Michigan State defense on one particular play. I guess you could view it as he's a guy that uh, just maybe didn't have the right quarterback play, had some injuries that kind of affected that. I guess that's the the positive way to look at it. But at the same time, he just didn't really produce there. And there's certainly opportunity for for guys to mm-hmm. uh, produce in Michigan, especially with J.J. McCarthy taking over that QB position here uh, this season. And we just didn't see that. So hopefully he's a guy that, you know, as he goes into his third year of college, starts to develop and, and find a, a little bit more of a path to success. Um, because we've seen guys with far better stats, like an L.V. Bunkley Shelton, like you mentioned a moment ago, mm-hmm. that have come in and done – basically nothing at OU. So hopefully you can find a, a role to play. And there's certainly opportunities. There, there's catches to go around. Yeah, there's a whole lot of catches, a whole lot of passes uh, that are, that are going to be available just because of the uh, the attrition and the turnover rate in that wide receiver room for Oklahoma. But, you know, Adam, I think especially with Blake Corum coming back to Michigan, Andre Anthony Jr. is going to have a chance to make way more plays. There's going to be a lot more balls in the air uh, in the games being played by by Oklahoma this season, especially with Dylan Gabriel coming back. That's going to be a nice addition uh, for, for DG. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be a big offseason for that position group. You know, Emma Jones is going to have to hit the ground running, uh, come in and coach these boys up and get them ready to go uh, for, you know, uh, the 2023 season. But, you know, Emma Jones, we got him from Texas Tech. Could there possibly be one other guy on the Texas Tech roster that might be coming with him? Yeah, Jaron Bradley is a name to keep an eye on out of Texas Tech. Uh, He went for 750 yards uh, for the Red Raiders this past season, went for 180 of those and a touchdown against the Sooners in Lubbock. He's a massive human being, six foot five. Um, We put a a link to a photo of him next to Marvin Mims in our show notes, actually. Um, Definitely click on that, check that out just to see uh, how much of a a huge human being he is. It's kind of crazy to see, but he's a guy that originally Emmett Jones was recruiting to Kansas, but really he didn't want to go play at Kansas. And so it kind of worked out that Emmett Jones went to Texas tech and Jaron Bradley was able to follow him there. And so the thinking is that maybe he could make the transition over to Norman uh, because of that relationship with Emmett Jones. We did see a reaction tweet from uh, Jaron Bradley today, actually, Uh, It was just one emoji. It was the melting face emoji. So could that possibly lead to something? Because that fills a massive need for the Sooners in having a lead guy. You talk about what OU has returning in the wide receiver room. Jaleel Farouk went for 450 yards or so. That's one of the lowest 
outputs for the lead returning receiver that OU has pretty much ever had. I went back through like 2007, 2008. Um, and there were a few times where I think like Mark Andrews or Jermaine Gresham were kind of close um, to that number. But for the most part, OU's always had like a 700 plus <laughs> yard receiver returning to that room. And I do think Farouk can really take a huge leap forward because I think he has a special talent, but it would sure be nice to have, you know, some other options there as well. Well, and I think we're just kind of scratching the surface too on how good Jaleel Farouk can be because he's essentially going to next year. He is the guy. He's wide receiver number one. But we all know that one of the things that makes Jeff Levy's offense, you know, so so potent when it's, you know, firing on all cylinders, it's not just a run game, but it's the ability, it's the ability to use multiple guys throwing the football down the field, taking those shots, uh, you know, down the seams or, you know, down the deep side of the field out in the boundary. So if if you're able to get a guy, you know, like uh, Jaron Bradley, or you're able to get a guy like, you know, Tyron Broden, who's going to be committing, he's announcing his commitment tomorrow. That would be another big body uh, frame that that uh, would, you know, look really good in Oklahoma uniform. It could be a solid asset. But, you know, if there is, if there's one thing that I think that this Oklahoma offense needs right now outside of one more offensive lineman, which, you know, we, uh, we have landed one in the transfer portal, struck out with Matt Lee, him obviously going to Miami. That was a huge crush especially on the interior but Oklahoma does I think need to you know be able to go out there and bring in a difference maker at the wide receiver position because if there's one thing that that we know you've got to have more than just one solid option uh, as a quarterback and a guy that you can rely on so we'll see what Jeff Levy can do and hopefully there's uh, there's some more good news in the future coming from the transfer portal you mentioned uh, Tyron Broden, and by the time some of our listeners are listening to this, he's probably already decided he's he's going to announce on Wednesday here. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily holding my breath on that one because of the wide receiver coach announcement, and I, I'm sure that they knew that was going to happen. Um, the fact that he hasn't committed already kind of makes me think that he's probably holding out to find out if he has a spot at mm-hmm. OU, and uh, that could be a conversation that Emmett Jones is having with uh, a Jaron Bradley, for example, saying, hey, we know what Bradley can do, um, you know, in the power five level. Let's take that over a Tyrone uh, Broden. So that, that's certainly a possibility. Xavier Weaver is another guy that's visited OU, the wide receiver out of South Florida. I like what he brings to the table yes. um, and what his production is. I just don't think he's, he's that interested in OU. So I'm not holding my breath there either. No. Um, so, and I guess <clears throat> if, if I put on my tinfoil hat right now, people talking about Xavier Worthy out of Texas, a guy that, by the rumor mill is unhappy being at Texas. And there was rumors that he might transfer to USC. He recently followed Emmett Jones on Twitter. Emmett Jones followed him back. I'm not holding my breath. That's that's very much conspiracy theory, but man, he would fit. He would be an ideal fit for what OU needs as far as a burner and someone that can stretch the field. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's not as durable or I don't think he can make as many competitive catches as what we saw Marvin Mims do. But if you're just talking about a big play threat, you know, that can get behind the defense and the back end. I mean, there's, there's not too many guys that are better in college football right now than Xavier worthy. So uh, we'll see. I, I wouldn't hate it. I think it would make this offense that much better, but I'm definitely not holding my breath on it. Uh, that's for sure. So one thing that I am curious, Adam, that are we holding our breath? The depth at the linebacker position right now with David Aguebu announcing he's going to be in the transfer portal. So this one is interesting because there's been so many rumors that he was going to transfer for several weeks now. And it finally mm-hmm. came to fruition uh, yesterday on, on Monday. And it's very odd when a starter that plays pretty much every snap, the defense is on the field goes into the portal. We think Houston and probably TCU uh, potentially are, are options for, 
David Ukwebu at this point. So it's not necessarily like a major step up. I know TCU just played the national championship game, but he's got one year of eligibility left. TCU's probably going to take a major step down. Maybe he thinks he can change the position there and, and showcase something else. But mm-hmm. it's just interesting. Like, was he processed? Because we saw a lot of tweets come out yesterday and even today saying that, oh, what a great guy he is, leader on the field and off the field, which kind of just means he's a good dude, but he can't play. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was interesting to see the coaches and and some of the player reactions. And I really wonder, you know, was he processed or was his coaching staff wanting him to come back? I don't know. I think it it might be kind of unfair for us to just speculate on that, but you're you're right about the fact that we did see coaches and players. I mean, if you want to know kind of what the vibe in that locker room is with how they feel about David Aguebu, just go look at some of the recent tweets from Danny Stutzman talking about his impact as a player and as a teammate. But yeah, it is, it is interesting, Adam. I mean, typically you don't see a guy that, you know, had 110 tackles in a season, you know, with only one year of eligibility left. He was one of the leaders of this defense. You don't typically see guys like that decide to go into the transfer portal to, to spend their final season of college football. So uh, I, I, I'm i a little bit more nervous now about the uh, – I, I can't believe I'm saying this. You, I wouldn't have thought I would have said it coming into this past season, but I'm a little bit more nervous now about the overall talent and depth uh, in that linebacker room right now by losing David Aguebu. I mean, we kind of feel like we know what we're going to get. Uh, Deshaun McCullough, that's going to be your cheetah. He's going to be replacing Deshaun White. We feel really, really good about that. Danny Stutzman coming back. He's going to take another leap forward. You would expect going into his junior season. Um, so those two linebacker or those two linebacking positions are, are sewn up. But what do you do with that other with that other linebacker position? Because right now, just looking at who's left in that room, Shane Witter coming off of an injury, very little experience. I'm not holding my breath on that one. Uh, Kip Lewis, true sophomore. Kobe McKenzie, true sophomore. And then you've got three other freshmen coming in, which highlighted by Lewis Carter, who I think is going to be hard to keep off the field uh, next season. I think he's going to get some run in that two-man rotation. So that kind of leaves us with Miss number seven, Jaron Kanick, the, the the poster child, the guy that we've been clamoring for for the last four to five months. Give us more number seven. What is this a scenario where it's essentially you're going to have the two, you're going to have essentially Teddy Lehman and Rocky Kalmas 2.0. You're going to have Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanick out there. That's a lot of pressure uh, to throw on Canick's play with a guy that had a little bit of experience earlier in this season, particularly in the non-conference play. And then once we get in, we got into Big 12 stretch, really just on special teams and, you know, sporadically maybe getting a play uh, on the at linebacker here and there. So I think if you're Oklahoma, obviously the transfer portal pretty bare right now. It's kind of picked over at this point. Uh, sitting here on January 10th. But you would have to think, Adam, that Brent Venables is going to want to go out there and just get one experienced linebacker. doesn't have to be a five-star. doesn't have to be a guy uh, you know, from, from Ohio State. or doesn't have to be a guy that they can see coming in and just automatically playing. But you need to get somebody else in here that can be not just a depth piece, but if you lose Stutzman or you lose Kanick or you lose Witter, you're you're essentially playing a guy that's got probably less than 50 snaps uh, of college football. So I think you got to you've got to go get one more experienced guy in the transfer portal, and I hope they do. Well, that's why you need to play some of your younger guys like Canick, so they're not so green. Um, we called for it all last year, and you know Every you mentioned game. Lewis Carter, a guy that we thought would be hard to keep off the field. We said the same things about Canick, but they sure found some easy ways to keep him off the field. Um, and instead, we saw. David Aguebu out there quite a bit. So that's why, and that's why I have to speculate, like, was he processed? 
did this coaching staff really go to him and say, Hey, you're, you're not going to be a future piece, but then at the same time, not give opportunities to Jaron Canick or Kip Lewis last year. Mm -hmm. So I, I just wonder like, was he truly processed or did he kind of look around his shoulder and say, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not hanging on to this position. Well, and you have to wonder too, Adam, is it so close between Canick and Aguebu? Yes, Aguebu has been playing college football for four seasons. Yes, he's coming off of 110 tackles this season. But is it so close, uh, these two guys, that essentially Brent Venables is thinking, okay, going into 2023, am I going to be, am I setting this position group and this program up better for the future? by relying on David Aguebu for one final season, or because Jaron Kanick is so good, but he's he's so close to getting over the hump and being a you know a really, really good linebacker for this group, is it better to just go ahead and throw him out there and let him learn, you know, b- baptize by fire, just learn uh, and you know, take your lumps and, and get better. I think that that's probably what happened because I think that Jaron Kanick has a much higher ceiling than David Aguebu does. Just off of pure athleticism, instincts, and I think the Canucks has a chance to be a really good player in 2023. He's going to have to be, because the guy that was in front of him, he's gone. Yeah, I mean, there's no excuse not to play Canick at this point. No. And hopefully Kip Lewis uh, will get a good opportunity. Can, Bri- can Brian Mead come back? <laughs> no, I hope not. Okay. Uh, Kobe McKenzie, another name that people are, are high on. He didn't play uh-huh. a whole lot um, this year, but... Um, hopefully in that second year, he takes a big step forward. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, Kanek, he'll have to catch up on the experience pretty quick because he just didn't get too many opportunities. But I know one thing that I think will be a huge improvement is, and it's not necessarily an experience or being in the right position, but sometimes you're just chasing down a quarterback that's scrambling. There's, there's no strategy for that necessarily at all times, but mm-hmm. if he is able to take the correct angle and he's got more speed to make up for mistakes, like that saves multiple first downs um, in comparison to last year, just well, by you, having a, a faster guy like Kanika. You saw that last night with Georgia linebackers uh, trying to defend Max Duggan. Anytime he wanted to, uh, you know, gets out of the gets out, get outside of the pocket, and run. God, I can't talk. Yeah, Georgia linebackers are there to you know cut him off and prevent him from making a play. Yeah, so yeah, ton ton more speed if you have Kanik and Stutzman as your your starters next year. So. Mm-hmm. I like what they could bring. I hope Kip Lewis can make a big step forward. But yeah, the depth behind that gets real murky and and pretty scary if there's any injuries issues there. Another thing that uh, came out, uh, everyone flooded the Twitter waves, but we have to talk about it a little bit after last night's game. Everyone's way too early top 25s. Stuart Mandel, of course, not ranking the Sooners. What do you expect there? He did find a way to get five and seven A&M into the top 25 ahead of OU for what reason? I don't know. Uh, Athlon had OU at 21. Joel Klatt probably had OU the highest at just, just outside his top 10. Mm-hmm. ESPN unranked. 247 Sports had OU at 23. Do you think that's appropriate for this team going into this upcoming season? Who really cares? I mean, to be honest. But yeah, you're right. We have to talk about it because it is news, I guess. But, you know, Oklahoma fans, should you really be upset that OU isn't high up on these 2023, you know, preseason polls? They shouldn't be ranked. I mean, they they just really shouldn't. What have you seen in the last four months coming off of a six and seven season? Marvin Mims is gone. Three starting offensive linemen are gone. What have you seen in the last four months that could that this should be a top 10, top 15 team going into 2023? Again, who cares? But you just put out a stinker. The first losing season in almost 25 years. Lick get after it this offseason, have a hunter's mentality with, you know, that killer instinct that we can kick this thing off in eight months and, you know, go out there and prove people wrong. I think that coming off of a six and seven year, 
I don't care that it's Oklahoma. There shouldn't be any sense of entitlement that just because we've got the interlocking O and U on the side of our helmet, we should be a top 15 team. Again, I don't really care about it. It's it, the season's been over for less than 24 hours, but we'll see. I don't I don't think so. I wouldn't have them in the top 15. I probably wouldn't even have them in the top 25. Make them go earn it. Yeah, I tend to lean that direction as well because, yeah, I want them to be able to prove it to me first. We saw some really bad football this uh, this past season. So I, I tend to agree with you there. My frustration is that this team and this coaching staff put them in a position where they could be unranked uh, here, you know, at this point in the offseason. And it really, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but it does matter in offseason momentum recruiting, you know, the types of things that you can put out there um, to, to create that momentum on the recruiting trail. And OU doesn't have that right now. And you know who does have that? Teams that I saw ranked, uh, you know, repeatedly over OU, like Texas mm-hmm. Tech or Tulane or James Madison, like just things that make me want to vomit when I see those teams ranked uh, either ahead of OU, um, I guess in general, if OU is unranked, so totally ahead of OU. So it's just frustrating to see. And it just, I, I hope it, pisses off the people down there in Norman just as much as it does for me that I'm tired of it. I'm sick and tired of 22 failed seasons of not winning a national championship. And if, you know, we're measuring where we are now compared to one year ago. Yeah, we have better recruits, but I don't know that I necessarily feel like we're any closer to that national championship. Uh, It's, it's, (laughs) it's, I hate saying it. Like I hate admitting it because I have to knock OU down a, a peg or two on the, um, you know, rankings of programs in, in the nation, but we just don't have it. And I, it makes me so angry. So yeah, that's sorry. Kind of the takeaway that I have there. Sorry. I've been, I've, I was checking on Twitter. I've been uh, reading these posts of Matt Liner going back and forth with OE fans regarding Alex Grinch being retained as defensive <laughs> coordinator out of Southern Cal. Who would have thought that uh, as we, two, a couple of weeks ago, who would have thought that Alex Grinch would have uh, been here longer than Corbin? Um, just, it's, it's absolutely crazy right now. It's but, Mike Stoops 2.0, right? Like it's the exact it's, same situation after one, the Rose Bowl. It's 1000%. It's 1000%. Yeah. You know, you, you should, they should have let Mike go before Baker's last season, try to make one last ditch effort to bring in some change. And I mean, we heard it from Baker himself that M effort cost me a national championship. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. Adam, any, uh, do we, do we want to touch on men's basketball? I know that Oklahoma is about to, uh, tip off at, uh, at fog Allen, the place Oklahoma has at one. And, uh, I can't in our remember lifetime. it's been so long in our lifetime. Either of our lifetimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the last time OU won in fog Allen, I, I was in the womb. So I guess you could say I was alive, but, hey. uh, not, uh, not on this side of the earth, I guess, as you could say, but, um, so, we're, we're recording this like 10 minutes before it tips off. So we're just going to assume that's, that's a loss. OU hasn't won there. K, no. KU's number two in the country. I don't think that's going to happen. Hopefully we sound like idiots right now when everyone's listening to this, uh, but very unlikely. Let's talk, I guess, just an overall outlook of where things stand for men's basketball, though. They went on the road to Lubbock, got a good win at Texas Tech, their first win since, I believe, 2015, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly. Yep. Uh, did it without a whole lot of production from Tanner Groves, mm-hmm. who is just a guy. He's not a star. I'm the biggest Tanner Groves hater out there, possibly. And not a whole lot of production from Grant Sherfield either. He got in foul trouble, didn't really contribute a lot. So a lot of other guys uh, were stepping up. And I think that's a really good sign for this team going forward mm-hmm. that it doesn't have to rely on just one player like we have with Mo Gibson or Austin Reeves in the past. Now, I know Texas Tech was down a few guys as well. They don't appear to be the same team that they have been in, in recent years, but a road win is a road win in this conference. 
And that's going to look pretty good on the resume and help keep this team afloat for their March Madness uh, hopes. Yeah, and Big Twelve, any win that you can get, you take it by any means by any means necessary. So, I mean, I thought that there were a lot of things that yes, Oklahoma had to overcome in Lubbock. Grant Sherfield, obviously, you know, getting in foul trouble, not playing his best. I thought B. John Cortez. Uh, played pretty well, especially late in the stretch, particularly, you know, late in the second half and, and even in overtime. So, but again, it's just kind of the same thing. I feel like with this OU team, it's going to be, you know, night in and night out, they're going to have a chance to win it. But like we've seen for the last few years, are they going to be able to make a play in crunch time to, you know, to pull out, you know, a close win? I, I don't believe so. I don't think it's going to happen tonight. It's not going to happen up at Kansas. So, um, as far as what this team is going to do moving forward, we all know that you know Bedlam's coming up, West Virginia's coming up, the, uh, coming up down the pipeline. What can Oklahoma do? I know that the the motto is hold serve at home and then try to pick off one or two on the road, but there's there's just not too much that I've seen from this basketball team over the last couple of weeks that just gives me too much confidence that they can you know they can do that night in and night out. The the schedule's too tough. The Big Twelve is too tough. Uh, it's just a daunting conference that you've got to be ready for night in and night out. And I just don't think that Oklahoma is talented enough at this point in the Porter Mosier era to, uh, to you know, be a consistent, you know, n- not even just a mid-tier team in the Big 12, but just to, you know, pick themselves off the mat and not be a bottom feeder uh, in the Big 12. If OU were to win every home game going forward, I think that puts them right at about 18 wins on the year, which is ooh, really iffy on the bubble there, in my opinion. Um, I would take I would take that right now. I would take I mean, that right you're, now. You're beating Kansas. You're beating Baylor. You're beating beating K State at home. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that being very likely. So, um, I think the next stretch of games here, the next three, you've got Kansas that everyone's going to know the result of by the time this releases, mm-hmm. and then you've got West Virginia at home on Saturday. Absolute must win there, in my opinion. Then you go on the road at Oklahoma State. And I think that's a very gettable uh, road game to, to win there. I know it's tough to play there. and OSU always mm-hmm. gives you, you gives you their best shot, but that's a team that OU certainly can beat. Um, so I think that's uh, – we're getting into some real must-win scenarios here because things can really get bad for this team if they continue to lose at home. It's never a good situation, Adam, when you're in uh, must-win territory on January 10th. Uh, just three games in a conference play. But, you know, men's men's team is struggling a little bit. Flip it over to the other side, the other team that occupies the Lloyd Noble Center, and that is Jenny Baranchek's OU women's basketball team. 12-2 and two overall, 2-1 two and one in Big 12 play. They split last week against a couple of top 25 conference opponents, falling to Baylor, uh, but then taking care of the Iowa State Cyclones. And, Adam, this women's basketball team, I think that they've got a they've got a chance to really get on a decent run here with the upcoming games against Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas. They've been just absolutely lighting it up from beyond the arc, scoring ninety plus points six times this year. When they're when they're knocking down threes, uh, getting out in transition, playing good defense, this group can play with anybody in America. Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams, you know, Ada Ayanusa, they're all playing really really good basketball right now. One thing I do want to point out, Adam. You talk when you look at when you look at what Jenny Baranchek has done in just you know a, a year and a half basically as the head women's basketball coach at Oklahoma. You look at the the overall depth and the talent on this roster from top to bottom. Maddie Williams, probably top three player in the Big Twelve Conference right now for this OU women's basketball squad. She was one of ten last last game against Iowa State, only scoring I think it was eight six six or eight points. They still figured out a way to grind out a win against a really really good Iowa State basketball team. So this is going to be a group that's going to be a lot of fun to watch coming down the stretch. Uh, and just like uh, just like with the men, Adam, we were just talking about, you've got to hold serve at home. 
play well on the road, you pick up a couple wins against those you know lower tier teams in the Big Twelve, like I talked about with TCU, with Kansas. They got a trip to Lubbock coming up, but I like what Jenny Baranchek is doing, and I like what I'm seeing from this OU women's basketball team. Yeah, definitely an easier Big 12 uh, than the men have to face. TCU, I believe, is approaching almost an entire calendar year since their Mm -hmm. last Big 12 win. So certainly some easier wins there. I think Ana Yunusa, you pointed her out. She's been around so long that you and I were selling tickets for her games at one point. That's how long she's she's been at OU. I guess Taylor Robertson as well. She's She's been around as well. But uh, having her back in the lineup and and knock on wood, she's had so many injury issues. Mm-hmm. We don't want that to happen again, but she's provided a lot more balance there. I think she had 23, 25, 23 Iowa state. Yep. Yeah. So she, she's an elite scorer there and she helps bring some of that balance to the team that now, like you mentioned, it doesn't, it doesn't rely on Maddie Williams and Taylor Robinson having their a games, even against a top 11 team mm-hmm. in Iowa state. You can say, okay, you know, you have a three-headed monster, and, and you don't always have to be completely on to beat some of the best teams out there. Mm-hmm. And so, I think as this team progresses, we'll see that engine really start humming. I, I think, and I really like where that team could go in the postseason at this point. Last year, we saw them, uh, I guess, go out. What was it, in the first round or second round? And it was like, man, it felt like they left something on the table there, but they were just getting back after having some really bad years uh, late in Sherry Cole's mm-hmm. tenure. And now it's like, okay, I think I think the pieces are coming together and we could see yeah. a pretty good run from this team. Well, and I think that's been one of the that's been one of the bright spots and one of the most th- most fun things to watch about this, you know, this OU team. You know, when you look at some of the three-headed monsters, you know, you've got Bosch, D. Wade, LeBron, uh, Clay Thompson, Curry, you know, Draymond, and you know, sh- uh, giving a shout out to, you know, MT, you know, Michael Finley, Steve Nash, and Dirk Nowitzki. When you've got a three-headed monster on your roster, it 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 widens the gap as far as how well each of your stars have to play on any given night. If you can get two out of three playing really well, shooting the basketball well, that just takes so much more pressure off the rest of your team, uh, and that's got to give you a lot of confidence. And I know as you're smirking right now, Adam, you've probably got a good comeback coming up here. But yeah, three-headed monster and an OU women's basketball team, it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. I don't know if I've ever been able to say that uh, since the Courtney Paris, Ashley Paris days. I'm trying to remember the reason I'm smirking is because this is not the first time that you've compared a uh, player on our podcast to LeBron James. I was just trying to remember who it was. That- oh, it was Dylan Gabriel. and talking about how important he was to his team. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you heard it here first. Uh, Taylor Robertson is LeBron James. Uh, Ana Yunusa is Dwayne Wade. And then Chris Bosh is, is Maddie Williams, I guess. Okay. So, so- I, we'll see. We'll see. Not one, not two, probably three championships coming. Yeah. Uh, ba- <laughs> yeah. And Baylor's the Boston Celtics. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap things up for. Hey, well, well, I got one question for you. You put out a good okay. tweet earlier today, the kind of the shotgun okay. gift regarding OU baseball and Kendall Rogers. Yeah. What's going on with OU baseball? Some good, some yeah. good things. It's the time of year where you start following D1 Baseball and Kendall Rogers again on Twitter. I usually unfollow them in the offseason and bring them back here right at the beginning. But they tweeted out today, they ranked their their top transfer uh, portal classes for baseball. OU ranked number six there. A lot of guys leaving the program uh, for baseball, but also a lot of really good, talented guys coming in. Um, I think we'll probably shoot for maybe like uh, here in two or three weeks doing a little bit more uh, deep dive on what the Sooners have coming back uh, to the mm-hmm. diamond. And I know people are pretty excited about that. We mentioned a week ago, didn't get the ranking on uh, the perfect games, top 25 there. So a little disrespect, but 
baseball is such a, a fluid game as far as, you know, the different players that are coming in and out. You've got guys going pro all the time. It's it's kind of crazy as far as roster management goes, especially in, even in comparison to, to how football mm-hmm. is in the transfer portal now. So um, we'll, we'll get everyone a little bit more familiar with some of those guys as we get a little bit closer and probably do some, some softball preview as well because they've got some new players. I saw they had 10% of the entire top 100 players uh, in all of softball. So pretty crazy what they're, they're stacking up over there. Yeah, that 1,000%. I'm really excited to see what Skip Johnson's crew can do coming off of a uh, College World Series Championship Series uh, appearance. Uh, and then we we all know what's coming down the pipeline. Patty Gasso and that OU softball team just getting ready for 30, 30 something days now. It's coming it's coming quick, Adam. Uh, the uh, the party's going to be on at a Marita Hines Field, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see this team, and can't wait for both Diamond Sports to get going. It's been a while since uh, there's been a lot of excitement regarding both diamond sports here at the university of oklahoma so can't wait it's gonna be fun absolutely so if you're not following us already on twitter or or on youtube links are in the show notes you can find our pages there make sure you follow us there for uh, more content that we post as well we certainly appreciate everyone interacting with us on those channels Uh, until next week we will see everyone again next week for another episode of